Hey, this is Louisiana Sister Squad podcast, where we bring you real information to enhance your truther lifestyle. I'm Katie. And I'm Tammy. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. show. The truth train doesn't stop here. Did you know that you can connect with us and our guests further? Join us on the uncensored platform, Telegram for live chats and Q&A with our guests. Hi, Lens. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited. Yes, we've been looking forward to this, and I'm so glad we were able to link up. So, Lens, if you would please give yourself a little introduction to our listeners. Sure. Yeah, I am the wife of a combat veteran and I have two girls. We have two girls. They're 19 and 15, almost 20 and 16. And I'm a believer first in Christ and a firm uh, enforcer. I want to be a deeper enforcer of constitution and uh, the Judeo-Christian values that founded this country. Um, I've just recently published a book, but basically I escaped trafficking and I'm an overcomer, not just a survivor. And um, I ran for Congress locally uh, at the federal level. And I believe that the people are the solution in this hour, first God and then the people, um, not just sitting back eating Twinkies or bonbons waiting for something to happen. That's kind of this the general rundown. Okay, awesome. Well, I do know that you ran for Congress, um, but this was not your first run. You also ran in Texas some years ago. Is that correct? Yes, I didn't officially go on the ballot. I uh, started campaigning for mayor uh, down there, and then my husband got sick, and then we he lost his job. A lot of things happened all at once, and then we we ended up in South Carolina, which is where um, I've always wanted to be. I love Texas. That's my home state. But now South Carolina is home. So uh, that was an interesting introduction into that side of things from being on the other side and advocating for veterans and military children of wounded warriors and such. And I want to ask, so this last time you ran, um, you did wind up being on the ballot, but you had really withdrawn. Um, more so, not so much as why did you decide to withdraw? Um, what's the one thing that you take away from both experiences of running? Uh, yeah, definitely not giving up. Uh, you know, I'm still in the fight, just in a different uh, aspect. And, you know, the, the goal is to wake up as many people and, you know, embolden them and I know empower, the word empowered is used way too much, but I genuinely mean for people to be empowered, to understand that they are the solution to the problems that we face here nationally and for some people globally. And so that's the goal of this whole process. That's the takeaway. And it'll always be the takeaway because until the people are governing as they were, as we're created to do is encoded in our DNA then, um, you know, our mission is is never over. That's awesome. Reading some of your bio, um, 
you, I don't want to say identify as, but um, it says Christian constitutional conservative. For somebody that might be hearing that for the first time, what's your best way to describe it? Well, number one, I'm a child of God. I'm a believer in Christ and I will never bow or kowtow to anyone save my God. I won't be bought and paid for because he already paid the price through the cross, death, burial, resurrection, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The second thing is constitutional. So we have a Republican Party, but as you and many of us have seen, um, there is a demonic stronghold in it, just like there is in the Democrat Party. I call it the Uniparty. I think a lot of us do. And so constitutional means that um, even before I'm a Republican, I adhere to the Constitution and I I want to understand it. I want to continually grow in understanding it and helping other people to understand it as well. And then conservative means that's just reinforcing that. But basically, conservative views, I, I think that God should never have been removed from our government. I believe that our children um, do not need to be groomed, hypersexualized. I think they need to be learning civics, math, science, reading, like, and even Bible in school for those that want to learn it. Uh, I think that's important. And, you know, just getting back to the nuclear family values, um, back to working, you have to work in order to, to um, you know, gain things. Like I can't just be given a house. I have to work for it. I have to work uh, to buy a, a property or things like that, or to open a business. That's what being an American is. Okay, awesome. I think that that's, um, that's definitely that's a, great uh, a great answer. And I can say that I, I share that perspective. I think um, sometimes uh, just society wise, people want to push you one way or the other. Um, you have the the always Trumpers, the never Trumpers, um, the demon Democrats and, and, and all of these things. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, my values are predominantly Republican, but I never wanted to say flat out I'm Republican to sound like I'm going to be who behind whomever just has this title of Republican. And I think it's important to know where your values lie. And I think this is a very important conversation for Americans to be having because uh, the parties just are not as similar as they used to be. When you look back at like as early as like 9-11, there was such a thing as conservative Democrats. That's not a thing anymore. I don't know anyone who considers themselves a conservative Democrat. I just don't think that the the parties align as much as they um, seemingly used to, which we know there's a lot of a lot of truth um, behind those of not being just forthright to what their values are. So thank you very much for sharing that. So, um, you know, we kind of like to skate around current events uh, because like this podcast will probably come out in two weeks. But uh, so what are your thoughts on uh, what's happening with the election and the election fraud like all over again. Uh, for me personally, um, I feel like it's um, very disheartening. You know, they didn't fix 2020. So I kind of don't, can't wrap my head around how people have so much hope in like the elections that are happening now and like, oh, a red wave and this and that kind of thing. Like not saying that didn't happen, that can't happen. But what are your thoughts on that? Just seeing it from a person who has been in the political arena. 
Yeah. So number one, um, I always look at things from a biblical standpoint first. And I think the red wave number, well, I'll, let's pin up to the side about the GOP and the, the wave. We'll come back to that. But I really believe that the wave that has been spoken about is actually deeper than just surface level. I think the red tsunami, the red wave is the blood of Jesus sweeping across this land and across the globe that we're going to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit unlike anything we've ever seen before. There's going to be revival and reformation in all areas of society. And, uh, you know, this is something that we're called to do. It's encoded in our DNA. That's what sovereignty of the people looks like. So I think as people wake up and they realize that these elected officials, when we start pushing back um, up against them, whether they're in fraudulently or not, eventually they have to cave when there is a massive amount of millions of people that realize that they hold the power in governance, not the government. The second piece of this is that you have a lot of the lame mainstream media, which I don't watch and I believe committed suicide a long time ago, um, talking about there's no red wave. And there, that's a lie. That's a fallacy. Um, because there is a red wave in the sense of the surface level conservatives. Uh, you know, we've got Lauren Boebert still at this point in time, probably by the time this podcast comes out, there will be a decision. But there is, she's in the lead right now. And you've got Arizona, a good friend of mine, Arizona Representative Mark Fincham running for Secretary of State, Carrie Lake, uh, some of these, uh, the Attorney General, Abe, um, can't pronounce his last name, but those are still up in the air. And I really think that as they win their elections, and I, I really believe they're going to win. If I look back at this and I'm wrong, that's fine. I don't mind being wrong because it's not about being wrong or right. But I really, my faith isn't in the system. My faith isn't in um, man. It's in God. And I really believe he's using these leaders like Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Mark Fincham, Carrie Lake, Arizona uh, Senator, now she's Senator, um, uh, Janae Shamp, she just got elected in, Wendy Rogers, uh, Sunny Boreale, uh, if I'm murdering the last name, and then Abe, and all these individuals, they're front runners in this process. So I think as they get elected in, these are the ones that had the kahunas or had the uh, you know, the spine to fight against the system. It started there. And I really believe it's going to break open the remainder of the GOP. The GOP just responded today. And then as far as like my hope in it, I always, and I think, you know, I always encourage people, you know, can, you know, still vote. You, you don't give that up. But um, again, my hope isn't in the system. It's in what God is actually doing right now. And I think when we when we consecrate ourselves to him and we really tune into what he's saying and listening to what his guidance is, I think, I mean, down to things that maybe we just take for granted, but just plugging into that system, then there is something that breaks through from that. So I think hopefully I answered your question, but that's kind of where I stand on some of those things. And by the way, we have a lot of Republicans, like true constitutional conservatives that have been elected in the mainstream media is just not talking about it. I wanted to talk about your book. Congratulations on that. Yes. First of all, that's like a, that's like a big deal. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Okay, so you recently wrote a book, and correct me if I'm wrong, the name is I Am Silent No More. Yes. And this is this is all about your journey. I, I believe that you had um, you know, a very unfortunate experience of going through human trafficking and um and it's about your life experience and I think overcoming that. I've not had a chance to dive into it. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, definitely. So the the book starts out with, you know, some some people that have supported me along the journey have really been fighting um, to save America, regardless of what, you know, the mainstream or non-mainstream says. Uh, but it, it talks about um, my encounter with um, the angel of death uh, four years ago. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. And so I, I had a horrible experience you know, I kept wondering why all these near-death experiences kept happening until I realized, just as God says in the Word, that He's He's powerless. He was dethroned on the cross through uh, the you know the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. But then it talks about how I gave my life to Jesus at four, my accident with my mom where I died and the impact with her, and God gave me a choice to come back, all the way through um, taking care of my husband as when he was um, injured in the war. And then um, being trafficked through child protective services system, never hit a foster home, but um, was taken through the system. And we know that the exchange of anything or some, something or someone for profit is trafficking. And I was placed into domestic servitude for three and a half years and raped for three and a half years, I escaped 16 and a half, fled from my life um, in that situation. And then it takes you through you know, my work with veterans, um, all the way through to my run for Congress. And at the very back end of the book, there's seven steps for people to, to reevaluate where they're sitting as a victim and step in as an overcomer, uh, because that's also how, you know, it's encoded in our DNA. I keep saying that, but that's the truth. We weren't born from lack. We weren't born from nothing. We were born from an almighty God that um, has everything that we need. And so that's kind of the story. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I did want to say that um, I read a quote from you saying that people are responsible for their own heart. And so I was wondering when it comes to like your steps for overcoming, um, I know that you have a close relationship with God. Is there um, someone else involved with inspiration and coaching to to overcome these things that gave you um, these very powerful words about how we are responsible for our own heart? Or was this all just a message from God? Well, I mean, granted, I have been through coaching, yes, but these were steps that God gave me personally. It was, what it was, was like there was a repeated pattern. Every every single time, like something chaotic would happen or trauma, I would notice how, because I, my, my dad terminated parental rights to me as a baby and I didn't have my mom. So in essence, I, by definition of the world, I was an orphan but I never felt like an orphan with God. Sometimes I'd go into that spiraling, whatever, but it, it would be like a reality check. And he would, cause all I had was to depend on him. So I, he'd say, okay, what, what is your, what is your reality? What is the awareness of where your heart is right now? Are you aware that there's no hope for you and there's nothing that you can do? 
or can you do all things through me? And so it just, it just was a repeated pattern. And then I finally woke up one day and I thought, well, someone else needs to know about this because it really brought me healing. Granted, I have gone through coaching. Um, I don't really, I'm not crazy about counseling. Um, that's a story for another day, a different time. But there are people that are trained in inner healing spiritually. And, you know, our heart is our mind, our will, and our emotions. So all of the trauma, all the memory of trauma, whatever's done to our body, whatever happens, basically, Dr. Caroline Leaf, I think is her name. Forgive me if I'm murdering her name. Um, but she describes this anatomically in our brain. So, like, there is a place where um, there is... I don't know all the names, but there's a, a place you guys can't see my hands, but basically if you were to make a fist and then put your other hand overlapping that, the part that overlaps it is where the joy is, where all the, the, the pathways of wholeness is. I'm, I'm breaking this down in very simple things. But when you go through something traumatic, the smaller piece that's underneath that overarching area goes into um, fight or flight mode. And so it then makes, it destroys the pathways into where you're free and creates its own pathways that are restricted and have barriers. So basically when you go through trauma, you're literally, it's happening in your brain and it goes into your soul and your soul gets, um, traumatized and there's different terminology for that. But basically what's happening on a very basic level inside of your, um, your your body is happening inside of your soul it's your emotions everything that changes the uh foundation your core belief of of how you handle things how you process things how you see the world how you speak how you deal with everything so if you're in fight or flight mode and you're in this place of um you know you don't believe you're worried. Let's say, so I was raped. I didn't think I was beautiful. I didn't, I thought I wasn't worthy. I didn't think my life had value. That became my core belief system, not just here in my head, but in my heart. And in order to change that, I had to shift my awareness away from that back towards freedom, back towards um, overcoming. So then I became a survivor and then I became an overcomer. And so now that's a, and sometimes I'd have to go through those steps like multiple times a day. Sometimes it's like a reset, but eventually that became my first nature. That became like, so that became um, how I adjusted and my heart healed. And so now I can sit here and say, um, I'm not traumatized by those things anymore. Um, I did get triggered when I was writing the book. There was things that surfaced and I dealt with those in the same way and released those to the Lord. And now there's a, a core, a new core belief there that says, hey, you're okay. And, um, you know, he's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's where my peace and my safety comes from. So taking out the lie and putting in a, a core belief of truth from the word of God. That is so beautiful. That is really so beautiful. And I think that describes wonderfully about um, being in charge of your own heart and how you can overcome these things. And I think um, I, I would imagine, like you said, that's really difficult having to when you started writing the book and having uh, it seems almost like new memories of old things and having to process and deal with them. Um, I'm a person I've 
like so many other people have gone through trauma myself. And I've blocked a lot of those things out, not by saying, oh, I'm just not going to think about it. Like, literally not being able to remember very large portions of my life. And it only takes one little thing to remember around that time. And you can start exposing other things that are inside of you. I also read some research about how uh, trauma and memories are held in even by your muscles. Um, they described it as like kind of goo in your muscles, um, all of that negative energy. And so um, healing is so important. And I'm very grateful um, that you have come so far and been able to share that because um, it is very much needed. With all this overcoming and you attribute almost all of it to your faith in God, when you were a child, is this your faith something that your mother instilled in you and showed you like God is the way? No, absolutely. Um, completely. She, from the, I mean, from when I can, as far back as I can remember, I've always been raised up, um, believing and having a strong faith in the Lord. And I also had my own encounter with Jesus at four. So, um, you know, that was, that was really powerful. And so that the, when I did have those, like what Katie was talking about, the amnesia walls that set in after the trauma, it was really that faith that pulled me out of those places. And she, you know, she, my mother was greatly traumatized. I talk about um, her, the generational curses that were passed down. And I talk about like what she went through because she was raped by her dad and her brothers. And um, it just was sickening. And when she finally exploded, and told the truth like what was going on it ripped the family apart and they wanted nothing to do with her but um she found so much uh healing in that because she didn't suppress it anymore and the other piece of it was there's a quote in my book uh and it, it was in her bible which i sent back to my aunt who actually uh was part of the the uh the trauma that i sustained but she uh, she took this opportunity in her place of pain and made it an opportunity for someone else to gain healing in that process. She said, through our pain is an opportunity for someone else to gain. That was her quote. And so she was a Stephen minister, and she helped minister to people who are greatly traumatized by whatever the circumstances were. I don't know if there was a specific, you know, thing they focused on, but she... She didn't look inwardly at herself and her pain. And so I think that's was a great model for me, but also just in how she prayed for me, prayed over me and ministered to me as a child going through uh, different things. That's awesome. Thanks for that. Um, and so what I, I know you were fairly young when she passed away. Uh, can you give me your age? There was. Yeah, I was uh, 12 you said you were coming back from a 4-H meeting whenever you guys yeah. got in a, in the car accident. Um, mm. So at that age, she talked openly about those experiences with you. Yeah. And, and she didn't talk negatively about my birth father. That was something she just didn't do, but there was things that I knew about. Um, and, you know, with that situation, um, the, and I years later, I learned about the protection, but she was very open with me 
And she also protected me because there was things that happened to me by her father, my grandfather, when I was little. And so um, she wouldn't let me have any contact with him after um, she came forward with everything. You know, she was, I can't imagine being a single mom for a season and then being married in a, in a marriage she didn't want to be in, but felt like she had to, to keep me sustained, you know, to provide for me, uh, to go through all the things that she went through. So she was always very open with me as, as much as she could, but she didn't like, uh, whine or gripe, or she didn't like confide in me in that way, but she just was very open and honest, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Move on to um, tra human trafficking. So with your experience, um, you're currently involved with uh, working with human trafficking victims. So right now, what what I'm doing, I just basically launched a um, nonprofit and I'm working with others across this. We're building relationships, a coalition, if you will, across the state. Um, across the nation and actually internationally. We've got a lot of contacts internationally and we are building this. It's like this giant network of people that are actually in it for the right reasons. So medical professionals or um, educational awareness, hospitality. Um, we have people who do rescues and we're building more in that area. Uh, so it's just very much at the very beginning phases right now. It's more about building that network and getting it going. So that way uh, we can process through it. We've got uh, ministries that are going to join us that are part of healing and deliverance, where I believe is where true healing comes through. Not that counseling isn't legit, but there's something about adding the God factor in there that changes things. And so um, I'm working with also general flynn and his sister mary and some others uh, to bring more awareness to this there's there's so many things going on but i have uh, that nonprofit. the website will be live soon um really right now we're just we're fundraising for the project there's a legislative side of this to hold accountable uh, government officials and to partner with them the ones that are really you know in it for the right reason there's a law enforcement side, getting law enforcement trained properly, not just on uh, on awareness, but on skill set. So there's an organization that specializes in that. So we're going to build with them. So there's a lot of different things going. It's like if you were to go into triage at the hospital to figure out what's going on. And, you know, we, I get calls about people that go missing or different things. And right now I just reach out to the contacts that I have and hope that we can get to the bottom of it. But, you know, we're going to be exposing a lot of corrupt things. And then the, the solutions that we have for tackling these different things and the people specialized in these different areas is really going to rock the boat. And I'm really excited about that. So that's kind of just a general, I don't know if that really answers your question, but it's, um, it's an amazing thing. I, I have a, a team that we're all equals. And as, as we get further into this, um, you know, we're raised, we're in the process of raising money to achieve everything that we need to achieve. And the, the bad thing about it is that 
a lot of people will donate money to different charities. Um, but then they don't know where their money is going and they see that a bulk of the money is used for administrative fees. And so that's something that I don't want to have like a, a massive amount because we need that money actually to help rescue or to get medical care or to, um, for rest like, um, hubs for people who have been trafficked or to plug into ministry resources or whatever, you know? So that's kind of where we're at right now. Well, that really sounds like you're pulling from other organizations that have already established and now you're banding them together as like a hub to be able to combat all of these things. And I think that's absolutely awesome. Um, in that retrospect and you having some experience in child services and we've also, um, you know, we've also interviewed somebody else who is involved with child services. Right now, we're seeing a lot of people, they're talking about um, abortion. And so people that are pro-abortion, um, it's a very silly argument because you're telling me that they're better off dead than poor or in the foster care system. Well, I'm definitely not pro-abortion, but when it comes to the foster care system, I wonder, are we, are we really spinning our wheels in the wrong direction, going what and what against abortion? We can know that's wrong and we can oppose it, um, but I really feel like we're lacking as uh, especially like conservative uh, movement into blowing the whistle on child services. Um, as far as I know, it's wildly corrupt. And that's where a lot of um, this trafficking is happening. Um, it's We know that it's a grab for money. We know that some of these people that are housing children should never probably be around children. Um, so I'm just wondering what um, are your thoughts on the child care system? And uh, do you or do you know anyone that's actively um producing, you know, a protest or a move or a call to action against the foster care system? Uh, actually, that is what we're, that's what I'm doing in partnership with um, some other leaders across America. Um, and there will be more announcements, I think, sometime in December. But, you know, tackling both abortion and uh, the foster care system is imperative because a lot of these um, Satanists are using their rights for abortion, um, getting people pregnant, some people against their will, some people not. And because we have a lot of satanic ritual abuse um, victims and those babies are used as blood sacrifices on the altar for Satan. And that's horrible. But also we have, I mean, it, it's a nasty thing. But also inside of the foster care system, we think it's just like, you know, just kids that are, say, broken homes or whatnot. But what we aren't talking about is all of these children that are going missing from the borders and children that are, are brought in from other countries and they get put into the system. So, for example, I spent several days down at the border in Arizona and down in Texas. And so organizations, uh, NGOs, nonprofits that receive taxpayer funds, government grants, our money basically, they are funneling these kids through after they get past the border. So let's say a cartel member brings a child across and a woman. The reason that President Trump 
was separating them and DNA testing them was because that child didn't belong to that woman and to that man. They were being trafficked. A lot of times these children are drugged with Dramamine and they're raped, their diapers and undergarments are hung on trees as trophies, they're called rape trees. And so when they're taken through this process, which is now opened back up for business, Catholic Charities has chosen, Methodist Charities, Lutheran Charities, different organizations, just like they do with the foster to adopt programs throughout the country. Just like we saw um, um, adoption agencies for international type situations. And so these children are brought through there and then they are placed into a foster home in another state. So what does that look like at the state level? Well, that looks like an undocumented um, minor that gets placed into a foster home and then gets moved around and disappears. Where does that child go? Missing report or missing persons, missing, missing persons report gets issued, but then that child's never found. And it's easy to target these children and the ones in the foster care system because more than likely nobody's going to be missing them when they do go missing. The other thing that we see at the border is that these women who are also taken through these situations are giving a morning after pill. They're told that they're going to be raped as a down payment and they are, um, if they fight it, they're murdered. And if they don't fight, they're gang raped and sometimes just individually, but that's part of the money to get across as well as these children. And so they're raped and their undergarments are hung on trees. We have children's lingerie hanging up in storefronts on American soil by port of entry. We have um, a number of things happening. These same NGOs are helping uh, the cartel get to, uh, Middle Eastern terrorists across the border. They're giving them water and food and clothing. So, and our government knows about it. And, and in some aspects, they're contributing to the problem and helping run the, 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 the situation. So, um, it's a massive, massive criminal enterprise, not just nationally, but globally. Yeah, me and Katie, uh, we did actually, we did a March for Human Trafficking and we had a woman there speaking and um, she, even though like as much as we thought that we knew about it, she educated us and everybody that marched. It was a great event. Like, I, I guess it's one of those things is like for as much awareness as we want to bring to things and uh, warning signs and how it's happening and things like that, you go ahead and you speak out on it. You make yourself a target. You make the people who's working to recover these children um, a target because there is big, big money wrapped up in all of this. And you start messing with somebody's money. I mean, we see very clearly we can't speak out against Big Pharma. They're they run everything. And so it's it's really it's a fine line to to walk. But uh, I'm very happy to hear that you guys are working on that. And uh, we'll look forward to supporting you guys in any way uh, we can, because um, it's a very important work. Um, this this child, the child services um, coming in and even <clears throat> when we talk about just your your base level, your American family, um, it only takes, you know, a neighbor or a friend to call and say that you're mistreating your child and your children can be ripped away, um, depending on um, how many how many kids they need. Like, I was absolutely shocked to find out that uh, the privatized child services actually has a quota for the people that work there. It's for recruiting children to come into their system. And that's just wild. Yeah. And then also when you brought up like the missing, the the kids that like run away and all this, like that they, they don't get a police report or like, where, where are they? Who's held accountable for all these 
runaway kids. Yeah. So like, for example, at the border, um, the kids are branded, tattooed, braceleted, marked of how they're going to be trafficked, organ harvesting, sex, drug, human trafficking. And um, I mean, they're even like five to 10 years ago, there was vans caught with children's organs that have been harvested and they're, they're harvesting humans organs and they're selling them on the dark web in the black market. I think you call it, I think that's what it's called. Um, and then they also uh, use children's like an infant's body to haul drugs back and forth until it decays enough to where they can't use it anymore. And so you'll find babies floating headless down the Rio Grande. And, um, you know, we know in CPS, a, a child is worth like, if, if a child goes into CPS and then goes into the um, system, they now are worth, I think the latest number, and I could be wrong, is over a million dollars because of the medical services, because of the um, government funds. So the federal government disperses money out to each state for the programs. And then that child gets a free education as long as it stays in the system. So then you're partnering with Big Pharma, you're partnering with the federal government, you're partnering with the local government, and you're partnering with um, the university systems. And so not that every child is going to go to the, the university, but that's just, and then like, I didn't have anyone, no ad and no attorney, no one fighting for me. And then when I needed help at 16 and a half, the system didn't help me then either. I was sleeping on one of my um, friend's um, floors in her house for like two, two to three weeks. And I, that wasn't permanent. The state didn't do jack squat. They didn't, they didn't even protect me. I had to ride with my aunt to the next location, to a, a temporary place that the police said was safe and that she recommended was a, a family friend who took very good care of me, bought me a whole new wardrobe of clothing. It was amazing. And I'm thankful to this day, but they didn't do anything. And then when I was going to testify for that particular state, I was bullied um, out of testifying by my birth father and then by um, other individuals. So it's it's a really screwed up system. It's really screwed up. Yeah, there's just not enough um, support for the children that are in the system. But I think it's because of um, this red tape. They really keep citizens uninvolved. And I can guarantee you it's for a reason because look at the puppy dog. Uh, <laughs> Um, they keep the citizens, you know, at bay, but that's what they want. They want everybody to just be in a trance and consume with something else and not worried about um, these kids that are that are really um, suffering and enduring um, just these huge tragedies that's going to um, stick with them for a very long time. But like you said, the, the, the pharmaceuticals, the medical company is all intertwined, intertwined with that. Um, as we learned the privatized uh, foster care system, when the kids are all in the, the group home and things like that, they're constantly be, being given medication to, um, to mellow them out and this, that, and the third, and all of that has a very, very big effect on, uh, what happens to them after. It's like a, a government operation, just like the war against drugs, as far as I can see, you know, and I know there's a lot of like up and coming conservative people like me and you that have started like running for office, they want to make a difference. So 
again, being like in that field of politics, how many of those people that you've come across that are up and coming, do you think that are willing to fight this system? Uh, I think there is quite a few. Uh, a lot of the same people that are fighting for election integrity. Um, I was th- I was thinking about that, you know, earlier today, actually. And I think it's going to take more people that can beat the game of the uniparty that can get in, you know, and that's going to happen through the reorg at the local level and getting rid of the, the filthy slime balls that are sitting in those seats. And I know everyone is created in the image and likeness of God. So I'm not calling him that, but they, they've made some really stupid criminal choices. They don't deserve to sit in those seats anymore. So I think, I think there are some, uh, but we need more. And, you know, the other, the other side of this is that a lot of people in the conservative movement from one end of the spectrum to the other really have to stop Okay, so like the GOP, they they want us to unify, get behind a ticket, right? But in the conservative movement, we're so quick to throw everybody out to get mo. Like not me personally, but there's there's this um, this place where you know people get accused of things that I mean those individuals may have made choices in their past with like maybe drinking or maybe they um, you know we all have made choices, but they're actually fighting the good fight people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's introduced um, legislation to end this nightmare with our kids on the federal level. People like Lauren Boebert, um, you know, uh, there's there's more. But we're, we're really quick to throw people underneath the bus because they don't fit our Christian narrative. And this is where, you know, I, I think a little bit differently because I, I believe God can use anybody even if they're not a believer because everyone has a purpose and it's their right to choose whether or not they accept salvation. But that doesn't mean that God won't use them. He used um, all kinds of people in the Bible uh, that weren't believers to get his job done. And, you know, so I I think that it goes, I'm going to try to keep this short, but basically go back into scripture where you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were so legalistic saying, well, you don't follow the law, right? And then we look at someone that we hold up really high on a on a pedestal and then they do something wrong. And then, of course, it's it's maximized and magnified because they're a public they're in in the public eye. And and then we 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 like throw them out to dry because, well, you're not a good enough Christian when really they made a mistake. And we need to look at the fruit of what people are doing versus um, just maybe a choice that they make. Now, I'm not saying that like if you signed up for mandates or whatever, that's what I'm saying. But if people make like a, 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 a maybe say something the wrong way or do something the wrong way um, and they could and they're like, oh, OK, I could do something different. But number one, their their relationship with God is between them and God that we need to stay out of that unless we're of course, we're called to bring the gospel. But the second piece of it is we shouldn't put everybody there's there is a part of the movement that's like everybody needs to be hung at Gitmo or you know all these different pieces and it's bringing such division inside of the conservative movement that we are even more divided than we were when we got started and we don't want that we we don't need to compromise God or the constitution but when it gets down to 
who our favorite American patriots are and the, the their lifestyles. I mean, if we put any of us on the public eye, the public is going to scrutinize us no matter what we're doing. I totally understand that because that happened to me on the campaign trail. I think you're right. Um, as far as how we perceive um, the good guys and the bad guys. And when somebody makes a mistake, that's really, um, that's really a very big deal about being people being cast out who are trying to do, um, do good, whether it be by their own or, you know, God is using them to do good. I think that's, um, that's important. And I wonder if more division has, has come um, we'll just call it the red party because there's Republican conservative, all this. We'll just call it the party of red is because more people have quote unquote joined, um, this side silently. Like the, you know, the media is never going to talk about it and they make it seem like everybody is choosing to be a Democrat. But I think that we have had, um, a pretty steady influx of people joining red, um, and so I'm wondering if that's where a lot of kind of confusion could be coming from. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I think, I mean, we have to redefine what the Republican Party is. It has to be reformed because the values that they're obviously rolling with is not even what the Republican creed says. So I wish it was the Constitutional Party instead of the Republican Party, honestly. Um, but I, I think that is the, I think there are a lot of people that, I mean, that's why they keep trying to, you know, I think push in more fraudulent votes out, out there in Arizona, because there's an overwhelming support of people that, I mean, I spoke to a lot of Democrats on the campaign trail and independents and soft Democrats, and many of them did not like my support for President Trump, but they didn't like their businesses being shut down. They didn't like being told that they had to wear a mask or that they had to be vaccinated. Um, they didn't like losing their job when they chose not to get vaccinated. They didn't like um, their kids being shut out of school and they didn't like being shut out of their places of worship, no matter what their faith was. And so that that is the issues that we face. And I'm gonna sound like my whole campaign spiel again, but the issues we face are not Republican or Democrat. We're in an American crisis. And so I think that, that that section has grown exponentially. Um, but we just don't need to be the party of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. We need to be the party of, of Jesus and have grace and mercy. Now, I'm not saying uh, no grace, no mercy for abortion or for the trans agenda, but things like... Um, you know, other areas. I don't, I can't think of anything right now, but maybe someone's perspective on healthcare. I don't think we should have universal healthcare, but some of these people coming in might think that, but then their eyes get opened when they understand that their tax debt, that, I mean, what, in the countries that have universal healthcare, they're taxed over at least 50% of their income and they pay for it. It's not a government provided, you know, just like this recent thing with the Republicans wanting to raise taxes. Uh, it's just crazy. It baffles me. I'm like, why are you guys raising taxes? That's stupid, especially in this inflation. Yeah, if anything, with this inflation, we need to have we should have a couple more tax free days, in my opinion, like they do at the start of school. I think we only get one tax free day 
a year, which is crazy. We were founded on breaking away from paying taxes. Why are we here? Whose idea is this? I want to hold them responsible. They're going to get Mo. <laughs> <laughs> now, really, um, <laughs> um, because I hate paying taxes. Okay. Okay, so taking it back to the human trafficking and you being at the border and you're getting these teams together, like do background checks on these people to make sure they're not in it for the wrong reasons. Because I have heard multiple times from survivors that, you know, whenever they have gotten out of the situation or rescued or however you want to put it, and they put them in like therapy and this and that, like they have like a network of people to loop them right back into these things. So like what... What screening do you guys go through and like what precautions are you taking? Yeah, so that's why um, we are in the place that we are in building the, the coalition properly. So like when I went to the border, I paid, actually, I had security both times. Um, I even have security sometimes at other events because uh, our, our families had our life threatened and, you know, you just don't mess with these things. But um and so those were divine connections as far as security goes. Um, the, the lady that I went with, um, Christy Hutcherson, Women Fighting for America, she's still on the front lines down at the border and, and exposing the border crisis. And so, you know, that was a, a divine connection. But when it comes to individuals, so for example, I've been um, in a relationship as far as working relationship or um, resource with um, the Flynn's and some, some members of their family for almost two years now. And so that being said, you know, they, they're the fruit of their labor is, I mean, they've, they've, I'm, they've put everything on the line uh, and we know what happened to him. It was not, not cool. And so it's those types of individuals. We have people that do vetting. Um, again, this is some of this is outside of my own organization. Some of this is some of those resources that I've partnered with, where those people um, have access to certain things like that. Um, and there's a certain standard that the once we start pulling in um, legislators and things like that, there's a certain standard that they're going to have to meet in order to. Uh, be unified with us or to work with our organization. But as far as like um, people who are in the healthcare industry, these are people that are like average everyday people like you and I that um, maybe they're no longer in the medical field because they didn't get vaccinated and they're, they're citizens. And so, you know, we check them out, make sure they're good, but they genuinely want to help or they have background in, in uh, the, the rape and the forensic stuff, but they don't work for an agency. Um, and then on the legislative side, when I am elected in office, you know, if God allows that, I, we need to abolish the three letter agencies. I said that on the campaign trail. So there's, there's a lot of different pieces in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but there's, there's certain standards that have to be met, but then the people that I work with on a, on a very close, uh, scale. Those are people that I would trust my children with. And then there's others that have gotten kicked out of that circle because they've used me or tried to use the situation. But I, I, we evaluate their fruit too. 
What have they been doing for the last couple of years? Um, are they just a disruptor or are they on the front lines, uh, you know, fighting for our country? What does that look like? What, what have they done? What, what is the fruit of their labor? Those kinds of things. Have you encountered um, these influencers that claim to be um, doing what you're doing, but it's all a big lie? I have. I'm not going to name any um, at this point because there's a, I know that's not what you guys are probably wanting, but there's, there's a lot of people. Like one thing I really love about Laura Logan, I don't know if you guys know who she is, but she doesn't report things unless she has facts and evidence. She she won't just make an accusation or an allegation about something. She has to have something that lines straight up with it, you know? And I think that's where we look at the fruit of people. Um, we look at their organization. So, for example, there was um, someone I ran into that was like, oh, I have these rescue teams um, in different parts of the world and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, I, I didn't see, see that. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't see, not that, you know, you don't expose those people, but you, you, you just don't see it because a lot of the, maybe I'm wrong and I'm, I'm fine with being wrong, but a lot of people that are doing those types of rescues or they're, they're fighting this stuff. They're not going to put it all out publicly. It's I'm going to bring up a very sore subject with a conservative, far, far, far right conservative movement in a second. But it, it's like some organizations will say we've rescued all of these kids, um, but then they're not their credentials aren't um, up to par or whatever. But then, like recently, I met this amazing woman, um, international person that busts down doors and rescues kids. But she does not have on her front page, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Now, we are talking podcasts. We talk about what we're doing. That's different. But she's not advertising it. Does that make sense? So, like, a lot of the strategies and the things that we're doing, why would I put those out in the open? That doesn't make sense. And and I think that's that's part of the issue, like, one of the one of the big podcasts, I don't know where you guys are with this. I may upset a lot of people, but Charlie Ward. He said for so long, look at all these things that are going to happen. Sit back, watch the show. I'm talking to the generals, but being a military wife, former military wife, now I'm the wife of a veteran. Uh, I said, why would a general like in my brain? Why would a general give all of his strategies uh, to someone with a podcast? Now you've got whistleblowers, but this guy wasn't, they weren't claiming to be whistleblowers. And then there was this huge motivation for people to sit back and watch the show. That's not biblical. And that's putting all of our faith in man and also in, in, in an organized large government mentality to rescue us. We don't need to be rescued. We need to be doing the rescuing. And so it, it comes back to those types of things. That's someone that I can name that I just don't support at all. Doesn't mean that he didn't have, I, I don't listen to him, but there was just a lot of things that were said that I just didn't, I mean, probably most of what he said. The Q movement, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up a can of whoop behind. Maybe there are some things 
that came to pass. But a lot of what was put out did not come to pass. And it, it, it maybe woke people up, but it also encouraged people. It gave a lot of false information and it encouraged people to sit back and that Biden was in a production studio. That's not true. He's a resident in the White House. It sucks, but that's the truth. And so if we're going to sit back, that doesn't mean that all of the stuff with the Q movement is wrong or right. But when I started evaluating, I didn't even know what it was, honestly, until um, after it had already been going. I didn't even, I, I had no idea. I didn't pay attention to that because I've always been the ones wanting to be doing something. And so I, I've talked about this with other people. And so I just sit back and I'm like, look at the fruit. Are these people um, saying, telling people get involved in some capacity because uh, a good a, a good uh, podcaster and now a friend of mine recently said, what is it to sit here and say, watch me and do doing everything that I'm doing and you just sit back and do nothing, but watch all the things that I'm doing. And so that's, I guess, my point with some of these organizations. Um, if, if they were getting enough done, then why isn't trafficking decreasing instead of increasing? Why aren't these government organizations assets um, being frozen? Why aren't we exposing all of the different things? And, you know, the government could shut it all down in a moment if it wanted to. It has it has that software, that capability, but it doesn't because they allow uh, Middle Eastern terrorists to cross our border. They allow um, drugs to cross our border. They allow the, the cartel to fly drones across our border. They allow the National Guard to communicate. There's already a, a video of a citizen journalist reporting this at the border. The National Guard um, speaking to the cartel about a better time to bring these kids who had all been drugged with Dramamine back at a specific time. Um, so, you know, that that's basically how I evaluate um, things. You, you'll go to my website and you'll see I'm very passionate about ending trafficking, but I'm not going to give you my strategy and I'm not going to tell you all the things that I'm doing uh, because it's not the public's business. It not They don't need to know all of the things. They don't. I'm not doing anything illegal, by the way. Yeah, I uh, we definitely agree with that. And that's a really good... Um, it's a really good gauge if it's sit back and look. I'm very proud of our podcast that we bring people on and we're always trying to inspire people to get active and to do the, pe the people that we bring on. Go do what they do. You feel like you're a good person. You feel like you have something to contribute. Here's how they're doing it and why they're doing it and just constantly trying to bring some kind of improvement to people's lives. That's really important to us. Um, as far as the, we'll just call them scammers, scammers. You know, uh, they pretend like they're doing all of these things like you're doing, like the human trafficking and rescuing children and um, all of these things. And then the whole while they're taking donations and donations and donations all year long. You look at some of their campaigns and they raise twenty five thousand on this campaign, fifty thousand on that campaign. You know, it, it's it's really endless. And um once someone has a following that's big enough to be earning that kind of money just through donations, it's actually really difficult to call them out because the people that believe that that's what's actually happening and supporting said persons um, will come after you.
if you say, like, I had an experience working with this person and turns out it's all a lie. Uh, I don't think that there's a really good place to even report that kind of criminal activity. No, it's it's it is a difficult thing. I mean, it's like when you run for office, uh, when I ran for office, I raised over one hundred and thirty four thousand dollars, which is nothing for a U.S. Con you know, congressional race. Now, it showed people I was serious um, and we were and people believed in the vision. Um, but when, you know, the Uniparty came in now, I had someone also in the race that was endorsed by President Trump um, that came in after I'd been in uh, for almost a year. But uh, you know, there, when you, when you have, when you're raising money like that, you know, campaign wise, you've got to be able to, you know, cause I didn't have, I didn't work my business. I didn't do anything. All I did was get out. I was campaigning for office, but at the same time, getting people motivated to be deployed into action. And so I participated in medical freedom rallies, not for abortion, but for the, um, you know, against the mandates, I participated in different things, election uh, fraud to, to to overcome that and to you know, all these different things and created that that stir with other people. We all partnered together. So you know, just like my organization, I'm I I need five good big donors to donate in order for us to make a massive, large scale splash in order to uh, fund the mission. And so that's that's the process that we're in. And it's because of what you just said, the scammers. This past summer, um, I was talking to one of my fundraisers from my campaign when I was uh, raising money. And um, he mentioned, he's like, you've got the scam packs that even WAPO and I think maybe the, the New York Times, don't quote me on those two, but there, there was some mainstream media that reported on these scam packs that rates so I have a political action committee. It's a it's a pact, but it's a it's a nonprofit for this purpose. So it's going to be used in a way that I can put pressure against elected officials if they're running for office. For this is hypothetical. If they're running for office and you know they've co-sponsored like my opponent, my former opponent, the incumbent, a trans a trans bill, basically the Fairness for All Act, but yet publicly is fighting against it. It doesn't make sense, right? So to to use pressure like some of these packs um, that do it right will will get um, $150,000 and run ads against that other candidate. And so it's, it's so it's supporting another candidate without giving them money, right? So using those resources in a productive way. But what was happening was these scam packs were raising all of this money and then they weren't using it for the purpose that they said that they were. I mean, look at the the money that was raised for the GOP for election fraud. Where did that money go? That's millions and millions of dollars. And they're crickets. Until today, the GOP finally released a statement. Um, and it's a, it's a whiny one at best. But, you know, so that's what makes it hard is that there's real people like yourselves, myself, that is trying to make a difference and do things the right way you know, I still have a lot of volunteers. I'm paying so much out of my own pocket right now. And that's why, so I have my business where I'm trying to sell my book and get that going. And then on the other side, you know, this, there's this organization, which I'm not, have not accepted money into it yet. We have not, we talk about it. I can accept money, but we haven't launched the website yet. Mm -hmm. But there's a couple of things that we're, you know, putting into place 
Um, and so that's why I'm excited because, you know, those scam packs are out there, but there's good ones out here like myself and others. There's those scam packs have created a bad name for those of us that are really fighting hard, but it's like the, um, Mitch McConnell funding against, um, the America first candidates. So we, we have to be able to get those things redirected and use, use the money wisely. So like, I'm not going to open up an office in Washington, DC, not at this point in time. So that's money that can be saved. I mean, I, I wouldn't see what I would do with one anyways, but I have a local office and it's very cheap. Um, but I'm still, you know, that's my business is paying for that, not the, the organization. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of your businesses and your life, you as Lens Piper Loomis, not Lens Piper Loomis and politics. Let's talk about you as like a mom and a wife. Like when you decided to go into politics, like what did your family think of that? How do they feel kind of like being in a spotlight? It's awesome. So it actually started when my husband was still active duty because I started out as an advocate. I talk about it in the book. It was during Obama's criminal administration. And had I not fought back and encouraged him to fight back, he would have been separated at nearly 20 years without benefits. And um, they were going to remove a stripe from him that he had earned that he was about to sew on. He was waiting on a sew on date. So that's where I really started fighting and then fighting and advocating for veterans and military and children of wounded warriors and the caregiver system and the VA and, and military. So that kind of started there. And then I started fighting out again fighting out, fighting against the indoctrination of our kids when we lived in Texas. Um, and so I don't think my daughter really, they, they weren't crazy about that because they lost some friends. And then moving forward years later, they loved when I was running for at the office at the local level, they called me governor as a joke, you know, even though I wasn't running for that. And then, you know, in this, in this capacity, they don't like the spotlight. Um, they don't like to attend events like it was sometimes and they're very proud, but they they like to have their own privacy. And so what was it like? We attended so many events, so many events. And, you know, the kids didn't like the fact that we had to take extra precautions. They couldn't just go out and ride their bikes like they used to or certain things because people are hateful. Um, now that's let up quite a bit. Um, but you know, we're just like anybody else. We go to church. We're very involved in our church community. Uh, we love to travel. Well, my oldest likes to be home, but you know, there's things that we like to do together. Um, uh, we have four dogs and two hairless cats. So, you know, we, that's fun. And then, you know, we, we like to play board games and spend time together. They like to cook. I don't, I like to be in the kitchen while they're cooking. Um, I like, I'm a coffee connoisseur. So those are, I mean, my husband works from home hundred percent and both of my girls spend time with Jesus every day. They are amazing. They've always been such incredible kids. Happily married 17 years to amazing guy who, um, man, campaign trail heat, or even in this thing, he'll, he'll get up and volunteer. He was my biggest supporter, my kids. Um, and he's going with me down to Mar-a-Lago here in a few weeks. So that's kind of exciting. 
That's very exciting. And, you know, we have something in common. My son's an amazing chef. And uh, now he's grown up and and lives in Dallas for his job. And um, I miss having a personal chef. I could tell you that. You're going to Mar-a-Lago. You're going to meet President Trump? Well, I I hope to see him again. Yeah, I saw him in May. And I didn't release that. I mean, I I did say I went down to Mar-a-Lago, but I didn't release the pictures until after, like just this week because I didn't want um, to get the wrong impression for the Trump endorsed candidate. Uh, that, that would have created some confusion in the race. Um, but yes, I'm going back down. There is a uh, event that's taking place uh, with General Flynn, Lara Logan, myself, and General Flynn's sister is a dear friend, dear friend. And so she's, um, there's, there's a, it's on child trafficking. So we'll be down there and I get to speak, uh, you know, and share a little bit for a few minutes. And so that's going to be awesome. We'll get to hear from Laura Logan, which I'm really excited about and General Flynn. So it's going to be awesome. My husband gets to go and bring his service dog, Grace, who's been with him for almost nine years. Oh, that's amazing. So how many times have you encountered President Trump? Just once. Well, encountered well, when he was running for president, I went to one of his rallies and I sat in the VIP section, but I didn't actually get to meet him. Um, but actually, as far as meeting him, once. That was in May. Wow. What, did you actually get to like hang out with him and conversate with him? or? Nobody gets to really do that. That's very short and brief. So there was uh, a fundraiser for my dear friend, Mark Fincham. And so I was invited down there. Now, a lot of the people that, so they got to a point where President Trump was speaking um, out at Mar-a-Lago by the pool and they were calling a lot of candidates up and you know, Mark Fincham was saying, hey, these are people who should be endorsed. Now, I have people on my team that were part of Trump's administration and um, advisors, different individuals. But for some reason, even though people said they were not on my team, but people past that had said that they'd given Trump my name, he didn't know who I was. Why do I say that? Because Mark uh, gave him my name and he started calling me out, Lindsay Piper Loomis, Lindsay Piper Loomis. And I went up to the stage and he had not um, heard of me before. So we shook hands and then he stepped away from the um, the microphone and I shared, we shared a couple of comments, but basically I just said, if he ran again, um, I would support him in his run and that I honored him and thanked him for his service. And I, I said something else to him, but I'm going to leave that off of, off the air. Cause I don't want to, um, you know, I, I had my certain thoughts about the candidate he endorsed. And so I don't want to dishonor her and I wasn't dishonoring when I spoke to him, but I just said, um, you know, where I think his support should have been (laughs) and why. (laughs) The funny thing is everyone's like always in awe of of him. And I wasn't in awe. Uh, I'm not in awe of any of anyone except God. It was, he's a normal human being, just like us. He's got to pull his uh, britches up and down, just like we do. He's, you know, but he is one of the greatest presidents in my personal opinion that has ever lived. So it was just a a time to say thank you. It was literally just seconds. So um, I'm sure he'll remember me if I get to meet him again. 
Um, I don't know if that I'll have that opportunity. It would be really cool, but he definitely won't forget <laughs> what I said. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that much about your experience. You know, I was watching the rally when he endorsed somebody else, and I was like, I thought it was Lens. I watched it. It wasn't me. He endorsed Katie Arrington. <laughs> I was shocked. Yeah. Well, we knew. So I knew, you know, I talked to her before she got in the race and, you know, asked for her support because that's what you do. Um, I I did not ask Nancy Mays for her support, obviously. Um, but, you know, she said no. She felt like God, you know, was asking her to get in the race. And so I said to God from the very beginning, I'm going to go all the way through this as long as you tell me to go through it, no matter what it costs. And if you ever tell me to get out, I'm done. No questions asked. And so, um, you know, people have beat Trump endorsements. And so there, there was some differences between the two of us, um, what I thought were significant differences. Um, but it's amazing what happens when you have conversation and you, you realize you know, some things can be addressed and we're not always going to see eye to eye on everything, but there were some things that I addressed. Um, but you know, anyway, so she came out, she came into the race and she was endorsed and that was just something I had to deal with. And so I just kept pressing forward. Um, I didn't, Trump's approval of me or lack of approval did not take me away from the mission that God gave me. And then it was a few days before the debate, um, that God, uh, told me to get out of the race and endorse uh, Katie Arrington and actually endorse her on the debate stage. And so I did. And hardly anybody knew what I was doing. I called my pastor and told her my family knew I had security there. And um, Nancy Mace had no idea. It shook her up. That's great. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't cover that you wanted to? No, I think you guys covered everything. And I'm very excited. Uh, for anyone that wants to know, uh, get a book, then go to my website, lindsaypiperlumis.com, and they can either grab one from there and they get a signed copy in the mail from me, or they can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. We do prefer that they purchase one for you because I know I'll be doing the same today. I did have one final question before we close out. If you have just one minute, our yeah. question to you is if you had one minute and this message was broadcast around the world, everybody would have a chance to hear it using your one minute. What would you say? Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross. He died for you to have healing in your body. John three sixteen says for God to love the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. He loves you. He desires you. He wants a relationship with you. And, um, it says in the word that there's no shame and condemnation in Christ Jesus, that when we become a believer, he makes us all things new. We become the righteousness of God. And so I would ask you to um, pray for the first time if you've never done it and give your life to Christ and see how he transforms your life. And the second thing is to know that you are worth something, that every single one of us, whether we agree on things or not, have a specific purpose to infuse into this world. And when someone passes and they don't infuse their purpose in this world, we're all corporately at a significant loss. Good answer. Good, yeah. Good job, Lens. Yeah, Thanks. that was beautiful. And thank you again for being here today.
before you go, hit follow and share with a friend. Wake up to a new episode of Louisiana Sister Squad podcast every Tuesday.